So we are grateful and we are thankful for the infinite love, the pure intelligence, the wisdom, and the goodness that is already inherent in each of us. We are grateful and thankful to come together for more peace, more love, and more joy. We are grateful to know and remember and recognize the truth of our being. In gratitude, we are partnering up with the higher Holy Spirit self, and we are coming together to support and love ourselves as well as each other and to bring more benefit to all of our clients, more light to the world. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yeah. So someone else is here, but not on video. Kel, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll just start by saying it's... um, it's so wonderful. I love to do the spiritual counseling training intensive. It just, it's different every time. It's beautiful every time. And I am, I feel so blessed to be a part of it. So we just had a wonderful intensive. It was really deeply healing and nourishing for everyone there. And so I'm riding the high of that. And I think we'll find some wonderful ways to expand the program. And I I just would like to say that, uh, as some of you know, I've been studying Kundalini Yoga as a teacher and being trained as a teacher. So I'm in the level two training now. And, uh, So in the last couple of years, I've been adding Kundalini Yoga to the retreats. And I just did the, last month I did the Healing from Sexual Abuse Retreat. And Elizabeth and Paula, oh, Paula's here too, that's right. Um, they, uh, They were at that recovery retreat, as well as um, Susie Sokolo, who will be joining the certification program, and others. And we we did various kundalini yoga, and one of the things we did was a, uh, a yoga that's both an exercise and a meditation that's very simple. Um, and I can teach it to you. It's very simple. And it has a chant that goes with it. And we we did it intentionally every evening at the end of our day before we went to sleep. And I did it because I know the effect that it has. It's one of the most powerful kundalini uh, kriyas that there is. But it's also a meditation. It's a meditation and an exercise. And kriyas are sets of exercises. But it's one Kriya that's so powerful, it's like a whole set of exercises. And it's deceptively simple. And I did it because it has the effect of kind of like being washing the dust and grit of the day off of you. Now, a lot of people can do, will do it first thing in the morning. 
the ideal time to practice kundalini yoga is, or any spiritual practice, is between 4 and 7, and preferably the 4 and 7 in the morning rather than the 4 and 7 in the afternoon. Uh, And so we practice this particular kriya, which is called kirtan kriya, K-I-R-T-A-N. And uh, I can send everybody information about it, um, if you like. And what, what we noticed is everybody slept well. Everybody woke up, woke up feeling refreshed. So I did the same kirtan kriya each night at the end of the spiritual counseling training intensive days. And uh, everybody loved it. And Amy, who was there, Amy Kresge, she said that uh, normally she wakes up every day feeling worried, fear and worry. And she's, that's the way it's been her whole life. But the first morning she woke up at the at intensive, she didn't have any worry. And she said, I think it's that Kirtan Kriya. So she messaged us yesterday that she had continuously woken up without worry every day. And then last night she, or the night before, she had not done the Kirtan Kriya before bed. And she woke up worried. And so now, of course, we all know belief plays into everything, doesn't it? So we don't know what her beliefs are. Maybe her belief is this is a magic pill for her. But she didn't have that belief when she started doing the Kirtan Kriya. So uh, I'm just sharing that because this is, uh, I think, a wonderful thing we could experiment with. And there are videos at YouTube, and I can make some recommendations about that. But, uh, yeah, I'm just sharing this because what I love is the constant discovery of how we can help ourselves more and how we can uh, leave behind the cares and the worries and the fears and that everything is working together. And that's what I love about Kundalini Yoga is it's a body-mind practice that also uh, works on your emotional body. And uh, since A Course in Miracles doesn't have body practices, I, I really appreciate having that compliment to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody else have things going on they'd like to bring up? Stuff with clients? Issues and concerns? I just wanted to say, Jennifer, that I would love to get a copy of that and try it. Yeah. Well, I can I can help you organize that if you want me to. Mhm. So we can get it out there. Mhm. Yeah. So Jennifer, um I'm I'm curious so you said you want to teach it to us if we'd like. Is that something you are thinking of doing in like a separate class or like during one of these calls or yeah, no, I I can do it really quickly in one of these calls, but I can also give you a written handout and I can give you um, a YouTube video. Okay, okay. That sounds great. Yeah. 
so the Kriya, real quick, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but the Kriya is, um, it, like I said, it's a physical exercise and a meditation. And so the physical exercise is really simple. It's a hand mudras. And it's just that, repeating that. And the instructions are to do it with about five pounds of pressure. So it's not light and it's not really, really hard, but it's significant pressure, five pounds of pressure. So you're doing that for the entire meditation. And you do it with your arms out straight in front of you. I like to sit cross-legged, so I'm resting a hand on each knee and keeping my arms straight. Uh, some of you may know there's a mudra called Gayan Mudra, which is your thumb and your forefinger. And it's a traditional, you see people in sitting in cross-legged Indian style with their arms straight and they've got their hands in, in Gayan Mudra. So, uh, but, but it's, it's this movement. This is the exercise. And while you're doing that, you uh, are chanting. So we've been doing the 31-minute version. That's what my kundalini teacher recommended for the recovery from sexual abuse to people. And there's a 21, I mean, there's an 11-minute version. I'm sure you could do it for, uh, actually, Yogi Bhajan, the main teacher, taught if you did it for two and a half hours a day and you wore white, that in a year's time you would attain enlightenment. So, um, and so the the there's a chant that goes with it, and it's sa ta na ma, sa ta na ma, and that chant is related to one of the probably the most practice chant in Kundalini, which is Sat Nam. So it is the sounds of Sat Nam, Sa, Ta, Na, Ma. And Sa means the eternal infinite. Ta means life. Na means death. And Ma means rebirth. So as you're chant, you're moving your fingers, it's sa-ta-na-ma, sa-ta-na-ma. So you're chanting eternality, eternal life, death, rebirth. And so that's the chant. (coughs) And you do it for the 31 minutes, you do five minutes of full voice, and you 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 can chant along with the uh, this song, which makes it really easy because she's chanting it too. And it's Sa Ta Na Ma Sa Ta Na Ma, and then five minutes of that, and then she switches to a strong whisper. Sa. And then to silently chanting for 10 minutes. And then another five minutes of whisper and another five minutes of full voice 
and then one minute of silent prayer. And that's the whole Kriya. And so the written instructions are very clear and, and there's also more elaboration and, um, and the YouTube video, you just can chant right along with it. It's very easy. <coughs> and everybody seems to really love it. So that's, that's that basic practice. You know, it's funny, I used to do one, our yoga studio used to do one that was like that, but it was Sata Nama Sa Se So Home. Uh-huh. We used to come back and do it, and that was for healing. Yeah. So that's easy for me to remember. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's another meditation. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Very good stuff. Yeah. Anybody else like to... uh, Anybody like to say anything that's going on with a client? Any challenges uh, or yourself that you'd like assistance with? I wanted to share that Catherine Hairston shared today that she just completed her 111 hours. Mm. uh, So so I'll be checking in with her to see what else she has left to do. But I wanted to let you know that. Very good. That's so exciting. Yep. Uh, We just certified Rieko and Phil. Rieko said she's taking a break from counseling for a little while. Yeah, it's exciting. When it, I, I can talk about more things, but um, do interrupt me if you have a question or you think of something uh, with a client. One thing is that I, I've, I really found the recovery from sexual abuse retreat very inspiring. And it wasn't inspiring because of anything I did. It was inspiring because of the four women who came, uh, their fearlessness, their willingness. Uh, And I would say they did have trepidation and fear. They were anxious and concerned uh, about stirring up these pots because they had all um, been uh, molested and repeatedly had been really wounded and uh, wounded by caregivers, their parents, their fathers, their grandfathers. And um, it had been a burden that they were carrying for many, many years. And I've seen this again and again. And the key to moving on and being able to forgive is nothing new to anyone who's doing this work with me, but it is releasing the self-judgment. And so in all my work with folks who have been sexually abused, they usually 
have had a fair amount of therapy before they get to me, but they are still really struggling and looking for spiritual help now because the therapeutic help didn't help them enough. And so what I talk to them about is self-forgiveness, which to a lot of people wouldn't make any sense. A five-year-old child is being molested by her father, her grandfather, her uncle, whatever, her stepfather, repeatedly, or the teenage girl, or whatever it is. What do they, why do they have to forgive themselves? What would a five-year-old have to forgive themselves for? It doesn't make any sense. It's like, what? But that's what I see and saw so clearly when I began to work with people and uh, on these kinds of issues. Because one of the first people I worked with had been um, severely beaten and abused, literally beaten with a two-by-four, locked in a closet, and raped uh, by family members uh, for years. But I saw that the key to forgiving what happened was in her forgiving herself. In her forgiving herself. So what, what people who've been through these kinds of things, just like the rest of us, have to forgive themselves for is they have to forgive themselves for a litany of things. So some of those things are that they didn't get help, that they they surrendered to it, because they almost always do as children. They don't fight it. They, they don't know that that's even an option. Um, and so they're, they're mad at themselves for not fighting it. A surprising number, maybe a majority, at least, uh, at least of the ones they did tell their mothers. And their mothers said things to them like, don't tell anyone, it doesn't matter, don't say anything. You're lying. You don't know what you're talking about. And so most of the people I've talked with are female. So most of them are telling story. Almost everyone I've ever dealt with is telling stories about being um, sexually abused by a male. Um, And so when you're, your female caregiver doesn't care or tells you not to say anything, then it's really discombobulating to a little, to a little girl or even a teenage girl. And so the fact that they don't tell anyone else is they're afraid to, because usually the people who groom them and, um, to, in order to molest them, will tell them something like, um, if you tell anybody that I'm doing this to you, they'll send me to jail. And then you're, 
you won't be able to pay the bills. The house will be taken away. The whole family will have to go to someplace else. And so there's all kinds of stories and things that the predators will tell people and um, in order to intimidate them, the children. And they don't know. They have no perspective. They have no way to interpret any of that. So they surrender to it. And they also almost invariably make the meaning of it that they have done something to deserve it. And one of the reasons is, is because the person who grooms them usually will groom them for a little while with ice cream and cake and candy and special treats and specialness that they enjoy. And it often will start with just gentle petting that becomes more intimate. And so they, the child makes the meaning of it that they, they liked certain aspects of it. You know, they liked the attention, the specialness, the candy, the cake, the ice cream, the special treatment, even, you know, the initial petting and stuff like that. But they didn't know where it was going. So they think that they have to succumb and they think that they um, were stupid later. They make all these judgments and opinions about it, that they were stupid and bad and wrong. And that um, and sometimes people will say to them, you deserved what you got. You were a, um, you're a slut. You're, you tempted them. You should have known better. Why did you go with them? It's amazing how often the person who's been molested is now attacked when they tell other people. And so all of that, they end up making the meaning of it that they're bad, they're wrong, they deserved it, they should have this, they could have had that, if only they had. And they judge, judge, judge themselves tremendously. And they're not even that aware of it. They're still thinking they're mad at the predator and projecting it all into the predator. So they're not really focused on how mad they are at themselves because of all these judgments. So that's why in that work with uh, folks on sexual abuse, I focus so much on what are the judgments that you have against yourself for having surrendered to it, for having allowed it, for whatever and getting them to really bring all that to the light. And then they can forgive themselves for the meaning they made of it, the interpretation. And then they can be free to forgive the, their abuser and to let those judgments go. But it does start with their self-forgiveness. So I'm saying all this elaborately, which I've said uh, some of it before because it applies to other things. So I'd just like to ask, can you think of clients you've had that have been through really difficult situations where people took advantage of them and um, really were unkind to them that they don't even realize that judging themselves is the the number one problem they have. Have you had any experience with that? Mm-hmm. 
I know that I have. I just, I know the answer is yes, but I can't, no one's coming to mind right now. Sure. So it's helpful. It really is so helpful. It was so clear in the intensive. It was never more clear to me in having done the worthiness work, the workshops that I did, and then also talking about it in Masterful Living classes, year one, two, three, and AP, and um, all that discussion of the the worthiness, and then uh, talking with the spiritual counselors and doing that training intensive, it was just never more clear to me that the most helpful thing we can do with our clients was to help them see that they are the ones who decided they are not worthy, that they are not good enough, and that they are the ones who can set themselves free. That that is absolutely the core and the foundation of the healing. And then the the forgiveness work, those two things. Because in the intensive, we could just see that every single problem that every person had was related to worthiness. Every session, everything, without fail. So one of the things you can do with your clients, I think, um, who are not in masterful living, is to, uh, you know, not part of the ministry, because I'd like to be able to have them do it in class. But um, if they've had it in class, but they're not quite getting it, it'd be great if you can help them. But with your clients outside the ministry, particularly to walk them through that worksheet and just like see if you can do sessions with them going through the worksheet. Just asking them those very same questions. And I, um, I've started to make an additional list of uh, the list of things in that unworthiness worksheet. Um, because people had a bunch of things that I hadn't thought of. Like Lori had a really good one, which was um, not charging what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. And there's been a whole bunch that I don't have that, and I don't really see clients talking about it, but people brought things up in class, and I went, oh, yeah. Those are some good ones, writing those down. So I do invite you to come up with more. Yeah. You, Lori. Have have you all done that worksheet? Yeah, I, I really encourage you to do it really strongly. So I I can keep talking, but I would love to um, also, and I did do a radio show, two radio shows about it. So you can listen to that as well. And I will be doing the worthiness workshop uh, later this year, I'm sure. 
And also just because, um, Connie and Laura, you're both here, um, I know that the folks at this workshop training would like to be able to practice with folks who went to the training last year. And I'd like to support all of you in doing some more forgiveness work. Now is the time. It's the ideal time to do it. End of year, beginning of the new year. It's just a great time. People, if they can do this this forgiveness work at the end of the year, it's so helpful to them to not carry it into the new year. And I think I'm going to be doing my forgiveness and be free workshop online um, this fall uh, and early winter as well. Could I share a little bit? Please, um, Jenny. So good to see you. Yeah, you too. I kind of missed the community recently. So it's like, it's just so lovely to see everyone's faces again. Um, and I feel a little bit like, yeah like I can relate to what you're talking about with the self-forgiveness because I do feel like recently a lot like you know how it's a perfect trap like I created my own hell you know that was perfect for me and yeah moving out of it has been like knowing that I created it just means that I can it gives me the freedom to realize and the power to undo it and find a, a way out um, and I feel like with the spiritual counseling, you know, a lot of how I think I betrayed myself was putting people's needs ahead of my own and also kind of being particularly around emotions. You know, that would, would have been the way I would have allowed myself to have been manipulated the most. Mm. So I think then coming into con for a while in the last, you know, six months or whatever it is, I just wanted nothing to do with emotions I just as in in relation to kind of other people in a job way um, and I feel a little bit more like the last little while kind of feeling like it's it's maybe it's changing I don't know but just that I would like to be able to share it's such a different energy and I miss feeling like there's space to share and I think it would be such a different experience if it is for me that I would be willing or desiring to work in spiritual counseling because of the desire to share and to give um, which I think is why I'm sitting here <laughs> talking to you right now um, so that's kind of where I'm at. But it does also, I, you know, I find myself wondering, is it okay just to take as long as I need if, I, I think I did the intensive April last year. Um, but I don't know whether I'll come back to it and is it okay to leave it as long as I need and to dip in and out of it to explore or... Well, on the certification program, um, I, I believe I say, how many years? Do you remember, Lori? I think it's two. Three? 
to finish it within three years? I got it. Oh. She's going to look it up. I don't remember how many years it is. But um, if you wanted an exception to that, I think we just have to look at really what was going on in the, that. Mm-hmm. So, five years? Three years. It was three. It's 36 months. I, I remember the number three, so it is 36 months. So you still have a couple years, year and a half? Yeah. Yeah, and I've completed a lot of it. It's, it's mainly the hours and mm-hmm. some of the workbooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you got plenty of time to do that if you would like to. Um, you know, it would depend on how long an extension you would need. It also, I think, you know, it makes a big difference. Some people, um, like Elizabeth, uh, she was just at this intensive. She did her first intensive in 2016. So she came back and wanted to do another intensive because she got so pumped from her experience at the retreat for recovery of sexual abuse that she's like, Oh, I'm all in for helping people with this. Now I am all in for helping people. And so she, that's what spurred her to come back and do the intensive again. And, um, and she's really on fire for helping people with sexual abuse. And as I said to her and Susie, who had both been to that uh, retreat, who were both at the intensive, my goal is I can really see now I would like to support counselors in the training, certified or not, who would like to do retreats and to help them do retreats on topics they're interested in. So for me, one of the most exciting things that's happening in Masterful Living is we're having more of these topic-specific mastery circles. So we are having one for people who've been sexual abused, sexually abused, who are healing from it. We're having one for people who are part of 12 steps. And we're having one for people who are experiencing grief. And uh, so we are adding these three new ones and we're adding a a second one for people who are challenged with illness. Laurel's going to do two of them now. She wants to do one every week at, at different times to support different people. So that that's an expansion. And so I also would invite you, if you're interested in hosting a, a mastery circle or co-hosting a mastery circle on a specific topic that we don't already have, or maybe you'd like to, help facilitate one we do have, uh, please join into that because I think uh, the more the merrier, the more the merrier. And also um, some of you know Anand uh, just passed away, uh, just a huge surprise. He had a heart attack 
and he um, he was heading up the the miracle circles, the online uh, Course in Miracles study groups. So we're going to see if we can um, have someone take that over in his place now, and as we're, uh, I'd I'd love to be able to roll those out in early next year. So that's what we were shooting for. And so, uh, but hosting a course in miracles online study groups is also another thing that counselors can do similar to mastery circles. So that's, that's something that's really important to me is to encourage each of you to follow your passions and to be able to make your offerings that are dear to your heart and support you in leading and teaching and facilitating as well as counseling and uh, doing the one-on-one work. That. Very quiet group today. I have a question, Jennifer. So I was in 2016. I was one of the first training programs. Well, last year I shut my business down because I was going to focus on doing my spiritual counseling hours. Then my son was killed. So I haven't really been counseling. So I'm already behind. I've already gone over the three years. And I've kind of just been following my heart and allowing my own healing because I think I'll better serve people that way. Um, so should I, do we have to work one-on-one you and me as to how to get those hours done? You know, um, we can definitely have a conversation about it and, you know, you're, you're back actively in masterful living now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that changed from when you were in the intensive in 2016 is I'm now requiring year one and year two of masterful living. And one of the reasons why I did require that is because I saw that everyone in the program was doing year one and year two. Nobody who's been certified has not done that. So that's the new baseline. And um, so you're, you're in masterful living. You're working the curriculum. You've learned so much from your experience with your family. Oh, I am. <laughs> yeah. So you're in a very intensive curriculum there. And um, so I, I'm thinking if the timing feels right, like if you offer another spiritual counseling intensive, I may come again just to, it was just one of the most healing things I've ever done. I will tell people, attending the spiritual counseling intensive it was one of my favorite times in life even though it was I mean a lot of crap came up but the power of us all working together I saw how the one mind works because it seems like when we were all working we were all healing the same issues it's like spirit brought the right people together to heal it seemed like we had a lot of parent issues going on in our group and so I would go through that again it was one of the most transforming times of my life 
I hear you. I hear you. You know, I've had a few people repeat it, and they all were were very happy to. Like in 2016, when you were there, Rainbow was repeating it, even though I certified her at that intensive. So she had already done all her work when she came to that second intensive. What a way to celebrate. Yeah, she came because she just wanted that extra boost. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I support that. I think it's... And, and I do think that it the intensive is never the same because right. people are never the same. And I do, I know more all the time. I understand things better all the time. So I'm a better teacher all the time. That's what I feel. My, um, I'm looking at the possibility of doing either the teacher training or the intensive possibly in Europe. But definitely, I'm pretty committed to doing one a year from now on. But I might do two next year and do one in Europe. Okay. Because people are asking for me to come and do some things in Europe. So I may see. Maybe Ireland? (laughs) (laughs) There's a nice retreat center down the road. (laughs) You know, I would love to come to Ireland. I would. I would. Send me info on the retreat center. I haven't been there myself, but I did. Every time I see it, I go, oh, I think that would be a great place for Jennifer. And maybe it gives me an excuse to go and see it. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows what will happen with yeah. Brexit. Right. Um, for traveling and stuff like that. Right. That's My brother's just patting me on the head. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I do love, we, we did the last, we did the one that we did in Europe in I guess that was in 2016 um, in Salisbury in the UK it'll be either uh, you know the UK or Ireland I I would imagine it probably will be I would like to do it in Salisbury again because it's uh, I think it's like a two hour train ride from London it's a beautiful city um, even a lot of Brits haven't been there and there's something so just everybody loved it so much to be in Salisbury and the, the place I did it was uh, right next to Salisbury Cathedral it was inside the cathedral close uh, and so the energy of the space was just fabulous and then what is the it's a college serum college there and um they are not like a traditional college they more have specialized programs uh related to the community and things like that and so and their food not so you know the brits not known for their food um so it was pretty like, meh. so I didn't want to have lunch and breakfast, lunch and dinner there. We had breakfast there, but so we just went out to Salisbury and had dinners, lunch and dinner in Salisbury. So we all got to walk around Salisbury a lot. And, and, uh, and then I also added on some, that whole other sightseeing retreat. So I, I kind of would like to do something like that and make it more of a spiritual adventure and, uh, 
tacked on to the intensive. And I may also do um, another, I'm thinking now I might do a retreat about forgiveness and worthiness together because they are so related. And so I'm thinking of doing something like that next year. And uh, people are always saying they'd like me to do more retreats, but then they don't come. And I know it's because of timing issues and everything, but there's just no way for me to do lots of retreats. I have too many other responsibilities. And it's challenging because I'm still teaching classes in the midst of, the, you know, I can't just take the time off because I'm committed to masterful living. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, so those are some things in the works. Yeah. So, Connie, that may be the thing is for you to just take the intensive again. And maybe for you too, Jenny, and maybe it would bring tremendous benefit. Yeah. And I would say it's it's always nice for me to have an assistant during the intensive. So uh, you would definitely have first preference if you wanted to come and assist, and then you could get, you know, a big discount on the a big discount on the training, and to make it easily affordable, you'd still have your housing and whatnot to pay. But that's another way to do it too. So, anything else anybody would like to bring up? Connie, are you thinking about doing much teaching about your experience and what you've learned through? Yeah. Um, I just had somebody, a couple of ladies reach out to me because I've been seeing, I've been sharing on Facebook my journey. And uh, they've asked me to contribute a chapter. They're writing a book on child loss and asked me if I would contribute a chapter for that. I just need to find the platforms to get myself out there. Mm-hmm. I, I want to share what I've learned, you know, going through this grieving process. And uh, it's painful, but I believe I'll get through it. There are some days it's like, a, it's so heavy on my heart. I was telling Lori, we wrote a forgiveness letter yesterday. There are some days I, it's like, I'm afraid I'm going to leave this world before my journey's done. And I know that sounds grim, but the pain of losing a child is like nothing I've felt before. And you talk about forgiveness. I'm like, there's so many people to forgive in this instant, but most of all, I'm working on forgiving myself because the last conversation I had with my son was two hours before he died. And uh, he wanted to take my son, Matthew, with him to go see Jack Osborne. I'm like, no. I'm like, we're spending time together. It's Matthew's birthday. That was the last thing I said to him, and he left. So I'm like, did I cause this? Mm-hmm. So there's guilt with that. Because if I would have let Matthew go with him, maybe he wouldn't have been coming in the direction he did. Or, like some people say, Matthew could have gone with him. That's right. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Because I, from what I haven't even looked at pictures of the car, but they said the driver's side was completely on the passenger side. But I'm to the point now, the guy that killed my son, I wanted to, I'm going to be honest, I'm just going to be transparent. I wanted to take a baseball bat and beat him. Sure. But now I'm to the point where I can look at it 
with forgiveness. And I think it's because Lori and I committed, we would write forgiveness letters day after day. And it wasn't only just writing the forgiveness letter, it was reading it to each other, hearing our stories. And I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. Why am I thinking that? But there's such a power when we join and read them, not only write them, but read them to each other. And then when we can offer feedback, it, you know, Lori would say that it felt like, you know, she was saying the right thing. Spirit was using her to say what I needed to hear to help heal. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in short, yes, I do want to share my story and I just need to find a platform. Well, um, Jesse Brune, I don't know if you know Jesse, but um, he was in Masterful Living for a number of years. And uh, he and I also co-founded a spiritual community together, and uh, which we ran for five years together. And then, and then I left LA, so he took it over himself. And uh, he has been training ministers and practitioners in that community now for a number of years, graduated quite a few. And uh, he, he and his husband had, were fostering to adopt a child that died. And so he asked me a couple of weeks ago, I, he said, I really would like to do a class on, on grieving for power of love. And so he's going to do that next month. Mm-hmm. And what I feel would be really helpful, it's like going to be three weeks. And I think it would be really helpful if we could start that uh, grief mastery circle in tandem with that class and your leadership in there would be great. Um, Jesse also would like to teach a class for uh, counselors on how to counsel people who are grieving. And I think that there's a lot you could contribute to that as well. Yeah. And, and teach us about how to talk with people and help people who are grieving because those of us who have not experienced that intense kind of loss, we don't know. We do not know. We really do not know. It's not like anything else. Yeah. I really have to say it feels like a piece of my heart is gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's understandable. It really is. Yeah, and I think one of the things, too, I don't know if it's, I think it's a combination. People are uncomfortable around people who are grieving. Mm. And they just, either they don't say anything or they say something. And it's like, why would you say that? Like, one of the things I kept hearing was, well, you still have Matthew and Kenneth, my other two sons. And I'm like, so Christopher wasn't important. Our dynamics have changed. And like I was sharing, I've reached out. We're doing something to honor my son. And we're taking that money and donating it to a suicide prevention foundation to a mother who lost her son. And I was telling her, I'm like, people don't understand, not only are we grieving for the child we lost, but we're also having to worry about the mental health of our other children that are still here because this affects them deeply too. Uh, So I'm having to get counseling from my other two sons. And I'm in in grief counseling too, and that's been a tremendous help. Yeah, it's a kind of counseling. Mm -hmm. That's where my heart is. That's where my heart is right now. And I'm like, if I can help people. 
Did you rewrite your bio? No, Lori was telling me that. I went to see Lori back in July and she told me to do that. So I really I think the time's coming. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll not only offer so much help to others, you will be helped by them. Mm-hmm. You'll have the opportunity to rewrite your bio because all of those facilitating the grief group, which you have agreed to, <laughs> I'm encouraging to rewrite their bio that we share with the ministry that focuses on the topic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Carla was saying she she wasn't getting clients off the website. And I said, have you talked specifically about the issues you've faced and have been dealing with in your life? Because uh, she's had some major issues. And she said, no, I didn't put anything in there. I said, I really think that, you know, if somebody's looking for somebody, somebody's got an issue like my drug addict or my somebody just lost their job they're looking for specifics in those bios that they can relate to and so just saying i'd like to help you be your best self and i um things like that it's not people can't latch on to it but if someone says um i'm i i suffered the loss of my son and have experienced heart-crushing grief, and I'm still in the process of recovery, and I'd like to help others who are in that recovery process, too, because it it's a lifelong activity. Right. The recovery never stops for that. Yeah, it's like I was telling my counselor, I feel like my grief is my companion now. Mm-hmm. And our relationship will change over, you know, as I go through life. But I will tell you this, if it wasn't for A Course in Miracles, if it wasn't for the forgiveness tools that I have, you know, like what I've learned with you, along with, you know, the love and support of my family and friends, I would not be able to get out of bed in the morning. Totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you are not unique in that. You know, really, I, that is so common. And um, and a lot of people don't seek any assistance because they don't have any comprehension that assistance is possible. Mm-hmm. And they also feel like very strongly that if I were to recover even a little, it would be mean that I don't honor my loved one who passed. It would be like saying, I don't care anymore. If I'm going to laugh or be happy, it would be like that. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. There is a part of me that if I truly heal, I don't love my son. There is part of that in my subconscious or in my mind. I do have an attachment to that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting. the, the, The weekend before I came to the intensive, so a couple weekends ago, I I, I just uh, randomly watched two movies, and they were both about parents whose children had died and how um, how it affected them. It changes you differently. Hmm? It changes you. Yeah, exactly. 
It for sure does. And, and the reason is, is because your identity is as that parent. Yeah. Yep. And so a huge portion of your identity is just torn away. It's blown apart. Who are you now? Yeah, I'm having an identity crisis. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And, yeah. And thank God you do have other children, so you still have, you know, your identity as the mother of them. Right. But each child, you know, each child is part of your identity. Definitely. Definitely. I was the mom of three sons. I still am. One just has wings now. Exactly. Yeah. So your relationship to that shift in identity will change for sure. And still, it is a shift in your identity. And that, that's, that is part of the mourning and the grief. That is part of the confusion. It's part of the anger. It's part of all of it. And people who haven't experienced anything like it, they have no clue. They have no clue. You just have to forgive them, and 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 just because they don't they don't mean to be mean. I was sharing in the spiritual counseling training intensive uh, a little bit about grief counseling, and I shared. And you may have heard me say this before that when uh, I was in training as a counselor, I went to, uh, I interned in grief support. And uh, I remember in a monthly meeting that we had for congregants, there was an elderly woman there who had been married for about 60 years. Mm. And her husband had passed. And three months after his passing, her closest friends were saying, you have to get over it. And so I said to her, you will never get over it. Mm-hmm. You can't get over it. It's not even possible. What you can do is you can learn to adapt and you can learn how to be happy even though your husband is not here with you anymore. Those things can happen, but getting over it will not occur. That is not a possibility. Your friends have no idea. They don't know that. They just want you to not be bummed out anymore. Yeah. And they won't know until they know. They, yeah. It's just one of those things. Yeah. That's why I told her, you just have to forgive them because, Lord, they do not know what they're talking about. And you can't explain it to them. You saying that takes me back to Jesus on the cross when he looked down at the crowd that was crucifying him, saying, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. Exactly. That's what I was referring to. Yeah. You know, because they don't know what they're doing when they say you have to get over it. They have no clue what they're talking about. They really are more than likely just coming from their own feeling of two things. One is they just would like you to feel better. Yes care about you and the other thing is they'd like you to feel better because they don't know how to comfort you 
and they feel inadequate and it's like, how long is this going to go on? I want it to be like it was. Well, it's never going to be like it was. <laughs> no, it's not going to. <laughs> yeah. It's just not going to occur. And, and so t- having any kind of a conversation with a client that would be about getting over it is, it's ignorant and disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's one of the most foundational things that I learned. And many people feel that way about grieving the loss of a job mm-hmm. or a loss of a home. You know, sometimes a family has to move home, and <clears throat> particularly women have invested so much in that house or they have to downsize or something like that, that it's a major loss for them because that that home, it, their identity is wrapped up in it. This is why many, particularly men, will retire and then pass away because their identity is so wrapped up in who they were on their job. Without that, they don't know who they are and they're lost. Wow. And they're just grieving. So that's a common thing too. Yeah, it comes well, many times. Yeah, it does. It does. And it helps us to relate to more people when we can see where's the grief in my life. You know, so uh, where's the grief over the relationship, the grief over the job, the grief over the the house or the friend or whatever it might be, the friendship. Because sometimes friendships, friends just leave you on a dime like that and tremendous grief over that. Yeah, I've I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was a girl... Maybe I was about 10 years old. Um, my grandfather died, and he adored me. And we we went to the funeral. I didn't see him in the casket because they felt that wasn't appropriate. And um, when we got back to our home in Rhode Island, so we went on a plane ride, and we came back because uh, we used to live near him in Michigan, but we had moved to Rhode Island the year before. We came back, and my mother tells me I walked to the top of the stairs, and then I punched out every pane of glass in the window. I have no memory of it. I was so upset, because I felt like he was the one that really loved me, and now he was gone. So, yeah. Yep. So that's the other thing is, too, is I think a lot of parents are, uh, uh, you know, they're just misinformed now tell their children that they have to get over things like moving schools or, lose, you know, moving away from their best friend or their best friend who moves away from them. And there's all kinds of things like that in our life. And, and if you haven't been through it, you have no idea. And if you, you've been through it, but for whatever reason, your identity wasn't wrapped up in it, then you can't really comprehend somebody who's going through that loss and their identity is wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. So let's, did you want to share something, Jenny? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's just so, I feel like this is kind of been a real theme for me this year. Mm. You know, just, you know, splitting up from my husband, leaving my job, leaving my home there's just so much grief and so much of my identity and it's always playing out in different ways you know even when I'm working or 
what to do next or any of those things. And yeah, I really, you know, just, it is an intense, I found myself thinking, God, I really didn't understand other people's grief, mm. you know, at all because, but there's also, I kind of feel like there's a sacredness in it mm-hmm. in the sense that only me and God understand this for the people and you know the things that are in it there's something very intimate about it and which in a very strange way gives me comfort so um Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for it I feel like it's it's not something that's spoken about and you know like friends there was a wedding on and I just couldn't go just couldn't go to a wedding it's just like I'd be crying I'd be crying I didn't want to be crying I wanted to be like celebrating the people and I just wouldn't be able to Mm-hmm. And my friend was kind of like, oh, but I don't want you to be like that forever. And I was kind of like, well, I don't know when or how or what. I just don't know. But that's where I was right then. So I hear what you're saying as well, that it's not, it's something you learn to live with. And uh, that's the best it can. Yeah. 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 We learn to live with it. We learn to accept the unacceptable. Mm-hmm. that it has occurred, it, it is what has happened. We cannot change what occurred, but we can change our mind about it and put it into perspective. And we can learn and grow from it, and we can become more loving and compassionate because of it. Mm-hmm. And we can become more appreciative of what we do have because of it. Yeah. So there, there can be tremendous benefits from mm-hmm. the experience Whereas when it's fresh, there are no benefits. There's just a dark hole uh, for, for a lot of people. It depends on what it is, but for a lot of people, it's just a great sense of loss. And the loss is really about the identity. Hmm. And I, do, I think it's hard to, I, I, for me, I suppose, part of I think why I needed a break was it's difficult. It can be difficult to kind of, with other people when your grief is there with you you know absolutely Um, yeah and I'm grateful to myself for letting myself have the time yes Um, I'm grateful too yeah because you you need to be with yourself and be with your feelings you're in a recalibration to your whole life so is Connie that's, that's the immediate reaction of most people is to withdraw. And, you know, you could say lick your wounds, but you're, you're actually just figuring out who am I now? Mm-hmm. I remember when my mom passed away, I, I had only been her full-time caregiver for a few months alongside my father. But the day she died, I went out for a walk in the woods. And as soon as I stepped away from the house, the thought that came into my mind is, who am I now? Because even in that short time, I had become so identified with being her caregiver. I, I just, uh, I was disoriented. Who am I now? What, what happens now? I don't know. And it takes some time to figure it out. And there's mm-hmm. no rush. Yeah. 
and it yeah. changes it does change everything i think you know re- reevaluating friendships and and every it just changes how i see everything and yeah it's, it's actually lovely just to be with you all because i think having been yeah. withdrawn it's just nice to come back yeah yeah good and i would encourage you to reach out to patricia too maybe patricia yeah, in, in Australia? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Alfonso? <laughs> yeah. I talked to her recently, so I know mm-hmm. you were connected. So. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. I'm going to speak a word of prayer. Very grateful. So grateful grateful for our lives and the preciousness of each one's life. So grateful for our connection and the love and the light that we share. So grateful for the intentions that we share, the aspirations that we share. So grateful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to live a life of great love and light. We are grateful and thankful to recognize our holiness, and to fan the flames of that holiness. We are grateful and thankful to do so for ourselves and for each other. We're claiming a great healing. In gratitude, we share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, everybody. Maybe Angela and Laura, you can stay on for a moment. Hi, Jenny. I think Linda's on the phone, too. Okay, great. Yeah.